Welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm Mina B, and I'm a licensed social worker, mental health educator, and author of Owning Our Struggles. I'll be chatting with experts, wellness advocates, and others about the power of community care in improving your mental health. We'll delve into topics such as friendships, managing difficult relationships, and most importantly, how to cultivate belonging and support in our lives. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Over the last 15 years, Cassidy Pope has been a lot of things to a lot of people. Leader of seminal pop-punk band Hey Monday, season three winner of The Voice, platinum-selling, Grammy-nominated country singer-songwriter, ally and activist, pushing for social change and a brighter future in a backward world. But through it all, she's remained fearlessly, unapologetically herself. Now, Pope returns with a tremendous sense of freedom guiding her, and a forthcoming album set to once again amplify her confessional writing and redefine her place as a pop-punk mainstay. Hi, Cassidy. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mina. I'm a fan, so I'm excited. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm so excited for us to just dive into today's chat because you are doing such phenomenal things. You are the season three winner of The Voice. You are a platinum-selling, Grammy-nominated country singer, songwriter. You're doing so many amazing things, but you're also an ally and an activist. And you have been very, very vocal about your own mental health journey. And so, For listeners who are tuning in, can you take us on that journey and what made you become an activist for change, especially around mental health? Yeah, definitely. So I've been a singer since I was four years old, and I was exposed to the kind of cutthroat industry at a very young age. I was about, I think I was about 11 when I got my first managers. And after A few years, we parted ways. There was a lawsuit. (laughs) Uh, Very early on, things started happening that soured the industry for me, but I just kept going because it's a passion. And fast forward to, it was probably 2017. I went through a big breakup. I left the record label that I was on. I parted ways with managers that I had at the time. And it just kind of jump-started this very big transitional time in my life. I seeked help. I went to therapy. I was kind of hard on myself that I hadn't gone before then because I realized how bad I needed it. And just ever since then, it became a passion of mine to open up about mental health, but also just let people know you don't have to wait until some catastrophic event or some crisis to go to therapy because I really wish I had gone earlier because I I think I would have had more tools to handle all the things that the industry and just life has thrown at me. And so from the moment I went to therapy on, once I started feeling comfortable sharing that with people when I got to a healthy place was when I really just started being open about it. It helped influence my songwriting in a really creative, cool way. I was able to say things in my songs that I didn't say before or that I said before, but in a very generic way, I was able to really use some more colorful language and 
just have more to say about feelings in general. And yeah, and I think on the, you know, the activism side, that was really something I had been doing for a few years. I wouldn't say it's been something that I've done my whole life. I'm one of the late bloomers when it comes to that, admittedly so. But, you know, I've always been feminist and tried to do the right thing and stand up for people and all of that. But it wasn't until 2020, which I'm sure a lot of other white people (laughs) started their anti-racism work. And I've always felt like an ally, but that's such an easy word to just throw out there. And I've just done a lot of work around knowing what that word even means. And um, it's been amazing. It's been uncomfortable, but it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I wouldn't go back to ignorant bliss at all. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about wishing you would have started your therapeutic journey earlier. And when I hear you say you started singing at four, you started dealing with managers at 11. I'm like, whoa. At 11, I was like running around on the playground, using chalk, writing on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ask my mom, can I have tea time with my friends today? And you're out here with manager. (laughs) It's wild. I know. Honestly, it was weird because I didn't feel like I skipped childhood. Like I still Mm -hmm. had a fun childhood. We had a trampoline. I had played manhunt in our neighborhood and like did the whole thing where you just like hide in the dark and kind of like you know, hide and go seek or whatever. But I did have this whole other side of just being a professional at a very young age. Yeah. Would you say, though, thinking in retrospect now where you are in your own journey, I'm also thinking about other child stars and in this current culture of younger kids are growing up in a social media world. So people are getting fame at such a young age at higher rates because of all of our social platforms. Do you feel at 11 therapy would have been beneficial for you at that age as well, now that you've been through the process? Definitely. Yeah. And it just so happened that my parents got divorced when I was 11. So there was a lot of things that I was dealing with and that I didn't know what to do with. So coupled with really, really leaning into music being something I wanted to do with my life and the divorce, I think that would have been really beneficial. Wow. And so I know you said you started singing at four, but when did the songwriting piece become a part of your journey? Or when did you even realize you knew to write, you could write songs? That's such a wonderful talent. Well, thanks. It's something you just kind of stumble upon. I don't Mm. think it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of start writing. I remember I wrote a song about how a flower started off as a seed and then it grows. And then I made it into like, that's how people are. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I was seven when I wrote that. And it was just lyrics and melodies. I couldn't play an instrument yet. Once I got a guitar, I think I was 10 when I got a guitar, I was able to start putting music to the melodies. I never really learned how to play guitar the correct way. I just learned by ear and learned shapes with my fingers So I just started writing on my own. I think I just needed an outlet with everything that was happening with my family. So that was really what I leaned on most was songwriting. Mm. I heard you talk about after your therapeutic experience, really having the courage to write about certain things that you probably weren't bold enough to write about before. What do you think was the thing that really got you to step into this level of assertiveness and being courageous enough to say, you know what, I'm going to sing about this. This is my emotion. These are my thoughts and feelings, and I'm going to put it out there in the world. 
Yeah, I remember there was one thing in particular that I still struggle with it and it's shame. And when you have shame around either things that you've said or done, and it doesn't even have to be things that you've done wrong. It's just the way you've handled something or wishing you did something different, working through that shame and not being afraid to write about that experience. I remember I wrote this song on my last album, Thrive, called Break Two, and it's about being the person to break up with someone. Mm -hmm. And it's like just because, you know, you're brokenhearted, that doesn't mean that my heart doesn't break too, even though I'm the one that broke up with you. So those like very nuanced things, you know, we grow up and our friends tell us, oh, you know, he can't be sad he broke up with you or or vice versa. Like, you can't be sad you broke up with him. And that kind of culturally, that's kind of the thing, right? Like, whoever ends things is the bad guy. But, you know, the bad guy still has feelings and still has a heart and did the right thing in the end. But they're not given the grace that the person who was broken up with is given. Mm, you're so spot on with that. I saw you did an interview once. It actually wasn't an interview. You had... um you were sharing a little more about like your mental health journey and you were talking about kind of feeling stuck both personally and professionally and realizing that there were people in your life that you literally just had to let go of those relationships mm -hmm. in order to be unstuck and to propel forward. And even as I hear you saying, like writing a song about a breakup, like breaking up with someone is hard, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, and being broken up with can be really difficult, but like to untether yourself from someone can just be so difficult, whether it's romantic or platonic. And so when I was listening to you talk about that, I was just curious to know, like, what got you to a place that you were able to develop those skills to say, you know what, I got to let go of this relationship. What was happening for you? I guess I'm wondering how listeners can even know how do they set that boundary with people? How do they learn to walk away from people that they love? How was that process for you? It's so hard. And I can't say that as soon as someone showed me they didn't have the capacity to love me the way I wanted, I walked away. It didn't happen like that. You know, I had to kind of learn over the years. And again, there's a lot of shame that comes with that sometimes that you have to let go of. But I think w what worked for me, this doesn't work for everyone because it's a bit extravagant, but uh, <laughs> I went to a therapy retreat. And mm. one of the methods they use is experiential therapy, which just illustrates things. They use props. It's really great for creative brains like mine. And they kind of illustrated someone in particular in my life in the middle of a circle and I was standing on the outside of the circle and they were like, they're in the circle. That's their capacity. You're outside of that circle and they're never going to meet you where you are. So you either have to be okay with that and just figure out a way to cope or you can create a boundary and just say, you're not good for me. This is not a good person to have in my life. This brings me down. This lets me down constantly. And it's up to you to make that decision. It's not always as easy as like you make that decision, you cut someone off and then it stays that way forever. It doesn't even have to be that dramatic. You don't even have to block the person. It can just be a decision that you make. You don't even have to tell that person. This is about you, you know? And so that was really helpful for me to just kind of reassess some of the people in my life who weren't meeting me where I was or they weren't reciprocating. 
the care and the love that I was putting in to the relationship. So that was helpful yeah. for me. Reciprocity is so key. Knowing that you are doing the work of nurturing others, but if being nurtured back is not a priority and it's not happening in the relationship, it can be really difficult to sustain it. And I love the way you walked us through that process of the circle and realizing like, this is that person's capacity and you're not in it. I think that was so beautiful to just imagine what that looks like. And I hope people can start creating their circles too of like, what are the circles around my life and who are the people that I'm realizing are showing up for me and aren't showing up for me? And is there trust and vulnerability and safety in this relationship? And I love that you were able to have that. Yeah. And it's really important because I do have friendships in my life and even in my relationship where there are things that I know are not their strength that I love planning. I love when people reach out. I love being invited to things. And if all of those things don't happen, but they do other things like, you know, send me a card or DM me on social media, their version of meeting me where I'm at, that's different. We all show love in so many different ways. But if somebody is just not showing love in a healthy way or it makes you feel terrible, like trust yourself, trust your gut with that, you know? Yeah. I love that you outlined that too. What does it look like to meet people where they are? And yeah. realize that it doesn't have to be identical. I might be the friend who loves to buy flowers and it's your birthday. I'm going to get you flowers. It doesn't mean that if you don't get me flowers on my birthday, you're a terrible person, right? <laughs> yeah. You might just get me a card or you might just show up to my dinner or you might just text me happy birthday with an I love you. And that doesn't mean you're being a terrible person to me. And I think being able to weigh that and balance that is so, so beautiful. And you're talking a lot right now about the power of community, which is what we're really emphasizing on the show this season. And so I'm curious to know when it comes to bridging self-care to community care, what does it look like for you to balance community care, self-care, and being a busy musician? Yeah, it's a balance <laughs> act. I feel like Maybe just over the years, I've accumulated just these people in my life that are either in a similar situation where they have a job that's very demanding and they're still passionate about activism and their job and being a friend. I've just felt like balancing that hasn't been the hardest thing, mm -hmm. thankfully. But I will say, you know, I have to intentionally give myself, like my boyfriend makes fun of me. I'm known for just accidentally booking myself out every night with either events or friends or whatever, writing sessions. And I really rely on that alone time and that homebody time. So that's how I recharge. That's what I love to do on a night off is just stay home. So I have to intentionally like make sure that I have a night in between things. Of course, it doesn't always work out that way, but yeah. I tried to. And then my self-care looks like me on the couch, ordering <laughs> in with my dogs, watching Bravo, and just unplugging for a solid, you know, six hours. That's my dream. And then community, we're in that era of it's very easy to stay in touch with everyone. You know, there's a group chat, there's apps, there's everything. So it's really great to have that option. It's also great to be able to mute those if you need to. 
Yes. And so just, you know, picking and choosing when I know I have the capacity or the bandwidth to actually have productive conversations within those communities. And then if I don't, I try not to beat myself up over like, okay, I'm going to mute that. I'm going to set my phone down. I'm going to kind of reconvene. I love that. I feel like a lot of the practices you shared, I totally relate. Um, Mm. One, I'm a really big fan of putting my phone on Do Not Disturb. It's on it right now. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Very Well Mind podcast. I'm your host, Mina B. I really want to talk about your music. I know you have been working on some amazing new projects. And I'm just curious to know, however, in the midst of busyness, right? And you just talked a lot about community care and your self-care practices. What is the thing that you feel really inspires you to write new music? I have been really inspired by just this new direction I'm going in. I'm back in pop punk, which is a genre I was in with my old band back when I was like 17. So this feels really special. And it's kind of opening up all of these corridors in my brain, just untapped territories from being in country music, feeling a bit like barricaded in by what wouldn't be played on the radio or what's appropriate to sing about, especially for a woman and just kind of playing the game for so long. I don't have to play it anymore. So I'm having the best time. I'm very inspired by everything. I'm being inspired by shows that I watch. A lot of times I tap into old relationships that I still just manage to find something to say about because <laughs> <laughs> they all? were a doozy. <laughs> yeah. And I've also been really lucky to have had a community of songwriters and producers here in town that I will go in with multiple times. And, you know, we're past the dating phase of writing where like where you get in the room and you kind of let it all out, but there's a bit of reservation. And then, you know, you get in with them three, four, five times and it's just like, oh, you can just let it out. So I'm inspired by just my life. You know, there's a lot that I've shared, but there's also so much I haven't shared. Mm. And I get a kick out of when I release a breakup song and people guess the wrong guy because there's a (laughs) few people they've never heard of that the song's about. So yeah, there's been a lot of ups and downs that I can draw from for sure. Mm. What do you feel like in relation to your mental health helps you conceptualize the songs that you make or even wanting to write them? Like, is there anything in particular to that that you feel like really influences your music? Yeah, I've really let go of how I'm perceived Mm. in the lyric. I think we're all kind of drawn to just want to be perceived as a victim, like relish in the pity because it feels good, right? And then I get to writing a song and I don't feel authentic because it's like, well, I've made some missteps and I've definitely done and said things that aren't great. And I want to acknowledge that. There are times where I write a song that's just strictly like pointing the finger because it's angsty and fun and (laughs) why not? But for, you know, the work that I've done and the therapy I've had and everything, there's always, you know, that self-reflection and self-awareness that I really like to tap into when I'm writing. Mm. 
Can you tell us about the new music that you have coming out? Yes. I just decided on the next single and it's not going to be out for a minute, but I'll just kind of tell you a little bit about it. It's actually a song that is pretty relevant to our conversation because it's about being in a relationship or having someone in your life, family, whatever, that has substance abuse issues and feeling like you're kind of the third wheel and it's called Three of Us and it's about me, you, and the drugs. And so it's probably the most revealing song I've ever released and it's going to be something that I really want to pair with a good message and I want people to feel like they're understood and they're heard and seen because I have had that experience with someone actually two people in my life before so I hope people can relate and that's the thing like this new music I want people to rock out and I want people to have fun but I do want people to still feel something I never want to lose the storytelling aspect that I learned in the songwriting community in Nashville and country music. So I'm kind of applying that to the pop punk stuff. And it's been really cool. And I'm proud. I'm proud of what I've written so far. Well, I'm glad to hear you say I'm proud, especially coming from a place of where you talked about having feelings of shame. That's Mm -hmm. a really beautiful thing to be able to sit with and just say, I'm proud of this. I put something out that is so near to my heart, and I no longer have that cloud of shame lingering over my head, that darkness lingering over my head, and I'm fully stepping out into my truth and being vocal about what's really hard. Yeah, and I'm always met with community. I'm always met with people saying, I feel that, I've been through that, thank you. You know, people thank me for just sharing my story because it's helping them through theirs. So, It's this amazing exchange of energy that I feel is seamless and not forced. So I just really love what I do. And when I get to experience that with people, that's the cherry on top. You know, that's wonderful. I'm always intrigued by people who have different artistic mediums. So I cannot sing. (laughs) If I try to, (laughs) y'all will just turn this off. So I'm not even going to do that. Come on. (laughs) But writing is my medium. I write articles. I've written a book, you know, and that is how I release. And I actually had to do the audio book for my debut book, Owning Our Struggles. Yeah. And in the middle of doing my audio book, I had a mental breakdown as I was reading some of my content. Mm. Right. Like, you know, you write something, you're in your brain, like you're being creative, you're putting it out. But now when it's time to go back to it, read it out loud, or in your case, sing it out loud, it just hits you so differently. And I guess because I'm thinking of what my body felt Mm. when I was literally reading certain chapters of my book, hearing you describe your music, hearing you talk about this song that is about substance abuse, right? I'm just curious to know, there's one thing to write something, but then when you sing it. Yeah. I would love to know what that body experience is for you. Does it feel cathartic? Does it feel constraining? Like, what is it like to now take these words and literally, like, make them become alive as you sing them? It is cathartic. It's really disarming. You know, I haven't sung this particular song live yet, and I'm kind of scared to because I feel like I will be moved and I will— be moved to tears and singing through tears is really hard. I will say 
I've been very bold in my songwriting for this project more so than ever. And so far, I've really enjoyed singing these songs live because I'm believing every word so intensely and I feel them so intensely. The actual turnaround time from when I wrote the song to when it comes out is a lot shorter because I'm not jumping through as many hoops with a label or anything. So these feelings are a bit more raw. But yeah, I definitely have moments where if a lyric is really heavy, even if I'm just recording it in the studio, I'll have a moment where I need to, I want to channel the emotion, but I can't go too far to where it compromises, you know, Mm. me starting to cry on the mic because I can't sing and cry at the same time. So I have to kind of rein it in sometimes, which I hate saying because I don't want people to think that I'm just faking anything, but you can't do the mental breakdown in the middle of a show as much as I would love to. That would be amazing. But it's like. I think it's beautiful for people to know what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, and just being able to understand all that it takes to put into the work that you do, writing a song, but even giving yourself as a performer. Yeah. And, you know, just even like going through something hard on tour and getting up and singing a song that might not have anything to do with the situation you're going through, but it's a sad song. So you have to actively keep from thinking about it. And you're just like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to look at the vendor over there and just like <laughs> focus on the smell <laughs> of the funnel cake or whatever's happening. Like it's a real thing. And I know that there's documentaries for musicians where you see them going through hard things and they get up on stage and put on a smile. And that is a hundred percent true. And what mm-hmm. we all have to do. You know, there are deaths, there are breakups, there are friend breakups, there are family issues that happen when you're hundreds of miles away or in a different country even, and you've still got to get up there and put on a show. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that. And it does sound crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's life though, because you're getting up and going on stage. And I think people listening to this might realize, you know, I'm on the bus going to work. And as soon as I clock in, I got to wipe these tears and I got to get crunching on the numbers. Like, you know, I think all of us can probably find different ways that manifest in our lives where we honestly have to compartmentalize. Yeah. Because, you know, I got to get through my work day and I can't be crying. If I'm a cashier, I can't be crying in front of my customers. If I'm a bank teller, I can't be crying behind the window, (laughs) you know, regardless of what role you have. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I do believe people can humanize what you experience because there's a lot of pressure at play here when you have to perform for someone. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, too, in the midst of all of the wonderful, wonderful gems that you have shared today, What advice would you give your fans who are struggling with their mental health issues, but they're still carrying a sense of shame Mm -hmm. around that? Oh, that's a good question. If you have community, I think that leaning into that is really important. I struggled with really leaning on friends after a big breakup that I had a while ago because I just didn't really have those kinds of friendships for some reason. When you lean on them and you really just let it out, that makes that friend then feel they can do the same with you. And you don't realize it until there's that exchange and it just is so life-giving and so important. So if you have community, lean into it and don't be afraid that someone's going to judge you if you made a mistake or a bad decision, a poor decision. Don't be afraid of that. Just It's so much more healthy to just let it out 
And if somebody judges you or tries to make you feel bad about it, then okay, great. That's one person that you know it's not a safe space for you. There's just so many tools now with social media and everything with great, great therapists you can follow and just like you are amazing. Um, Thank you. (laughs) I love Brene Brown. I love Glennon Doyle. I mean, there's so many, Austin Channing Brown, like there's so many amazing, strong people who have really vulnerable advice, but also realistic advice where it's like, it's not always going to be pretty. It's hard. I would lean into that. I know that there are free therapy options online and on the phone. I just think everybody could use therapy, no matter how good you think you feel like it will open your world. But yeah, the shame thing is really, really hard to navigate. And it's okay if you have days where you feel, oh, I'm healed. I'm fine. And then the next day something triggers you and you're like, I'm the worst person. I can't believe I did that. (laughs) It's going to happen. That is progress. Even though you feel like it's not, Mm -hmm. it's still progress. It absolutely is progress. I'm so happy that you said that because I'll hear so many people feel like they had a setback in their healing journey because they cried yeah, (laughs) or because they got triggered Mm -hmm. or because something came up for them where they started to feel anxious. And like you said, that's still progress. One, the fact that you can be aware and name it Mm -hmm. is a form of progress and also understanding we're human. So healing does not mean we're trying to turn ourselves into a perfect person or machines or robots that don't feel anything. You know, I think everything that you shared with us today, Cassidy, just reminds us of what it means to lean into our humanness, what it means to lean into community and just what it means to care for ourselves and our well-being through the process of still being a whole individual who has dreams and desires and passions. And so I really thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, this was the coolest conversation. I'm so excited that we got to do this. Oh, well, I am so honored to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. I started following you in 2020. I was like, everyone's posting this girl's posts. Who is this? (laughs) So ever since 2020, I've been a fan. Oh, and I appreciate that so much, Cassidy. And you are a part of my community. And so I want to ask you this question as a community member. What does community care mean to you? Checking in. You think of somebody so many times a day and you never text them. You never reach out to them because it's just not something that you maybe feel comfortable with. Maybe you think you're bothering them. They're so busy. I'm going to bother them. But at the end of the day, how good does it feel for you to hear from somebody just as a check-in, not even needing something, asking a question, just how are you? How are you feeling today? I think that is showing up for your community and just making sure everybody knows that you're there for them and you're a safe space for them. Oh, I love that. Checking in is so important and is so nourishing. Cassidy, it has been so wonderful having this conversation with you. Please let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can find your new music, and how they can keep up with what you're doing. Yeah, sure. I have two new songs out anywhere you listen to music. They're streaming. You can buy them as well. I have a website, Cassidy.com. You can type in Cassidy Pope, but it'll direct you to Cassidy.com. <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Just Cassidy Pope, same thing on TikTok and threads and Twitter and Facebook. Did I say that already? Jeez, there's so many. And all of them. All of them is Cassidy Pope. Yeah. (laughs) All of the platforms that they keep adding on to. I'm all there. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cassidy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this conversation informative, please share today's episode with your friends and on your social media accounts. And of course, it would be greatly appreciated if you could take a moment to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Very Well Mind podcast as we explore the power of community.